Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on Paul's letter to the Philippians. The text for the sermon is taken from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1. There the apostle writes, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts today. Dear friends, one of my favorite board games is a game called Risk. The object of the game is to conquer the world. And you do that by amassing an army and then attacking your opponents. Battles are won and lost by rolling the dice. If you roll higher than your opponent, then you defeat one of his armies. And if he rolls higher than you, then he defeats one of your armies. You keep rolling the dice until or you have sufficiently weakened or completely destroyed your opponent. Well, like any real war, risk forces each player to adopt one of two postures, offensive or defensive. If you have a lot of armies and your opponent has very few, you will go on the attack. But if the situation is reversed, you will seek to defend yourself as best you can. Well, in some ways, the Christian life is like a game of risk. Sometimes in the Christian life, we need to go on the attack. For example, when fighting against sin in our hearts or in the world. But at other times, we must defend ourselves and stand fast. And that is precisely what the Apostle Paul advises in the words of our text today in Philippians 4, verse 1. There Paul commands the Philippians to stand fast. And it's to this command that we turn our attention with the help of the Lord. The theme for the sermon is standing fast. And we'll consider, first of all, the need for standing fast. Secondly, the motives for standing fast. And thirdly, the model for standing fast. The Apostle Paul in our text exhorts the Philippians to stand fast. Now the Greek word that he uses here is a military term. And it's used to describe taking up a defensive position against an oncoming enemy. In such cases, the defender is required literally to stand fast, or other translations have it, stand firm. In other words, he is to protect the territory that he has gained and not let any of it fall into the hands of the enemy. Well, this is the same idea here in our text. Like soldiers under attack, the Apostle Paul commands the Philippians to stand fast, meaning stand fast, stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not the only time that Paul commanded his readers to stand fast. He did so earlier in the same epistle, in Philippians 1, verse 27. Paul writes, "...only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ." so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast 
in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. And so here again, Paul exhorts the Philippians to stand fast. Now he uses that phrase in other epistles as well. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, he writes, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. And in Galatians 5, verse 1, again, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Well, here again, Paul exhorts the Philippians to stand fast. Now, why does he do this? Why does he command this? For the simple reason that they were under attack. The Philippians were being attacked. And Paul mentions several attackers in the verses that precede our text. He mentions, for example, the hostile world in which they lived. Remember, as Paul was writing this epistle, he was in chains under house arrest in Rome, unable to move about freely, possibly facing death. And why was he so chained? Well, he was chained for the cause of the gospel. You see, the Roman authorities looked on Paul with suspicion. He was creating unrest wherever he preached, and the Romans didn't want that. They wanted to maintain peace and order, not upset it. And consequently, they placed Paul under house arrest and charged him with sedition, a charge that could very well lead to his death. Now, the Philippians were also being attacked by the world, in Philippians 1, verse 28, the Apostle Paul exhorted them not in any way to be terrified by their adversaries. Now, as far as we know, none of the Philippians were actually placed under arrest like the Apostle Paul. But they were being persecuted. They did have adversaries. And they were surrounded on every side by these adversaries. And in the midst of these attacks, Paul exhorts them to stand fast, stand fast, against the world. Secondly, the Philippians were under attack by false teachers. In Philippians 3 verse 2, Paul exhorts the Philippians, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. So Paul here is referring to the Judaizers. Remember the Judaizers were Christians who believed that in order to be saved, one not only had to believe in Jesus Christ, one also had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Now for Paul, that amounted to a denial of the gospel, which teaches that we are saved not by works, but rather by faith and faith alone. Sadly, however, some of the members of the church of Philippi were being led astray by these same false teachers. And so he warned them against these teachers, calling them dogs and evil workers, and the mutilation. Later on, in chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, Paul warns the Philippians, even weeping, that there are many who are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Now, Paul here could be referring to the Judaizers, or perhaps to certain Gentile teachers, who had a tendency to elevate the soul over the body, and who taught that 
deeds were done in the body. And therefore, sinful deeds done in the body were not really sinful. So all that mattered is whether the soul is kept pure. And that allowed them to indulge in all kinds of sinful behavior. Well, whatever the case may be, false teachers were attacking the church from within. The world was attacking from without, false teachers from within. And Paul knew this, and so he exhorts the Philippians to stand fast. Thirdly, the Philippians were under attack by the destructive tendencies in their own sinful human natures. In chapter 2, verse 2, Paul exhorts the Philippians to be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, suggesting, of course, that they suffered from a lack of unity. There was infighting in this congregation. And that's confirmed by the fact that in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul implores two women, Yodius and Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Again, in chapter 2, verse 3, he exhorts them, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others, suggesting that they had a problem with selfishness and ambition. And in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Do all things without complaining and disputing. Again, suggesting that they had a critical, negative, and complaining spirit. The point is, although the Philippians were believers, they were not yet fully sanctified. They were still sinners. And as such, they still had destructive tendencies in their natures. And Paul was aware of this. And so he exhorts them to stand fast. My friends, we need to hear that exhortation still today. Like the Philippians, we too need to stand fast. For we too are being attacked by exactly the same enemies. We're being attacked by the world. We're being attacked by false teaching. We're being attacked by destructive tendencies in our own sinful human natures. So what should we do about this? What strategy should we adopt to combat this? Well, it's the same one that Paul advocates here in our text. We must stand fast. We must stand fast against the world. We must stand fast against false teaching. We must stand fast against the destructive tendencies in our own sinful human natures. We must stand fast. I know that's not easy, and Paul knew that too. So to encourage us in this In this, the Apostle provides several powerful motives. And that brings us to our second point. The first motive that Paul sets forth here to encourage the Philippians to stand fast is their own high calling. In chapter 3, verse 20, Paul reminds them, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, we reflected on those words last week. But they and the words that follow in verses 20 and 21 are intimately connected to our text. This is clear from the first word of our text, which is the word therefore. Now, therefore is a concluding word. It's a connecting word, but it's also a concluding word. It brings to a conclusion what Paul has said, especially in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. And it's as though Paul is saying, our citizenship is in heaven, therefore we must stand fast. Now, what does it mean to have our citizenship in heaven? Well, it means, as we saw last week, that heaven is our destination. Heaven is the goal. It is the end of our journey. Believers, as the writer to the Hebrews says elsewhere, are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That means we are just passing through. Here we have 
no continuing city. Rather, we are on our way to a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. Now, since that is so, Paul says, we must stand fast. We must keep putting one foot in front of the other. We must keep on looking forward. And that means we are not to give in to discouragements and disappointments along the way. We are not to give in to despair. We are not like pliable and pilgrim's progress to turn back at the first sign of difficulty. Rather, we are to remember that heaven is our home. Not this earth, but heaven. And therefore, we must stand fast. The second motive that Paul sets forth to encourage the Philippians to stand fast is their glorious hope. Now this too can be found in chapter 3, verse 20, and in verse 21. Thereafter, reminding us that our citizenship is in heaven, Paul tells us that when Christ comes again, he will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now when Paul speaks of our lowly body, He's referring to our body in its fallen state, our body as it is subject to disease and death and decay. And such is our body so long as we live on this earth. But when Christ comes again, he will take this same body and conform it to his glorious body. And that means it will live forever. And it will be perfect. It will be free of all disease and death and decay and every other kind of effect of the fall. And most wonderfully, it will be incapable of sinning against God. And in that respect, it will be better than the body that Adam had before the fall. Before the fall, Adam had a body that was capable of falling into sin. But when Christ comes, our glorified body will be utterly incapable of falling into sin. Rather, it will serve and glorify God perfectly, and to all eternity. Well, I ask you, will that not be wonderful? Is that not the desire of every child of God, to be able to serve and to glorify God perfectly to an everlasting eternity? Well, that is what awaits us if we stand fast. The third motive that Paul sets forth to encourage us to stand fast is Paul's deep affection. It's striking how at the beginning of our text, Paul piles up one expression after another to describe what the Philippians meant to him. He says, for example, he refers to them as my beloved, that he uses again at the end of this verse. The Greek word that Paul uses here is derived from the word agape, which is a deep, purposeful love, a love of commitment, a love of devotion. In fact, this is the word that the New Testament often uses to describe the love that God has for his people. And by using this particular word, Paul is affirming his love for the Philippians. He's saying to them, as it were, I love you so much. I love you with the same kind of love as God himself loves you. Secondly, he calls them my longed-for brethren. Not only did Paul love the Philippians, he longed for them. He wanted nothing more than to be with them. And that's only natural, isn't it? When we really love someone, 
We want to be with them. And that was the case with Paul and the Philippians. He loved them so much, he longed to be with them. You notice, too, that Paul refers to them for the fifth time in this epistle as his brethren. By using that word, Paul is emphasizing their relationship to God and to each other. Paul was an apostle, and as such he was their superior. But here, Paul emphasizes not his rank or his position, but his relationship. They are children of their Father in heaven and brothers of one another. Oh, no wonder he loved them and longed for them. Do we not love our brothers and sisters, our husbands and wives? Do we not long to be with them when they are separated from us and we from them for a time? Of course we do. It would be something terrible if we didn't. Such was the case here with Paul. Paul loved the Philippians so much that he longed to be with them. Thirdly, he refers to them as my joy. Now notice what he says here. He doesn't say, you bring me joy, which was true, of course. They did bring him joy. But he says, you are my joy. In other words, you are the sum and substance of my joy. It's like Paul is saying next to the Lord Jesus Christ, you Philippians are the most important source of joy in this life, at least for me. And why is that? Well, first and foremost, because they had believed on and were striving to live for the Lord Jesus. And that, for Paul, brought him the greatest joy. Nothing brought Paul more joy than to see sinners believe on the Lord Jesus and live for him and for his glory. But they also brought him joy because they loved him. And they demonstrated that by sending Epaphroditus to attend to him and to see how he was doing. And in providing for him in his material needs, as he also acknowledges later on in this epistle, in chapter 4, verses 10 to 19. Oh yes, they brought him so much joy. Fourthly, Paul calls them my crown. The word that Paul uses here doesn't describe a kingly crown. Paul was no king. Only Christ is king, and Paul knew that, and he gloried in that. Rather, this word describes a laurel wreath. In ancient times, a laurel wreath was placed on the head of an athlete who won some kind of competition or who was being honored by his peers for some great accomplishment. By telling the Philippians that they were his crown, Paul is saying that they were his reward. They were his trophy, trophies of grace. They were the proof that he had not labored in vain. So do you see what Paul is doing here? As I said earlier, he's piling up one term of affection after another. They come in like waves crashing upon the ocean, upon the shore of the ocean. And he seeks by this to assure the Philippians of his love and of his concern for them. Why? Not to flatter them. Not to manipulate them into doing something that he wants them to do for him. No, no. But to encourage them. To urge them to take the command to stand fast seriously. Those of you who have children know that there's no better way to enforce the seriousness of something than to say to your child, I'm telling you this not because I want to hurt you, but because I love you. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here in our text. It's as though he's saying, you know that I love you, therefore do what I say. Stand 
fast. The fourth motive that Paul sets forth to encourage the Philippians along this line is their union with Christ. Paul writes, stand fast, and then he adds these words, in the Lord. So Paul here is reminding the Philippians that they are united to Christ by faith. He is their head and they are the members of his body. And as such, they can never be separated one from the other. Christ can no more be separated from his people than we can sever our hand or our arm or a foot from our body. This too was an encouragement for them to stand fast. Their enemies, as we've seen, were strong and numerous. Left to themselves, they would never be able to stand fast. They would surely be overrun or run away. But Paul reminds them so beautifully in our text that they are in the Lord. They are united to Christ, who is the exalted King of kings and the Lord of lords, who has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth, and as such, they have nothing to fear. The battle may be fierce, but the victory will be theirs. In Christ, they shall surely overcome. Paul knows this, and that's why he commands them to stand fast. Now, dear believer, these same motives are for us as well. God, through the Apostle Paul, is speaking these same words to us. He's commanding us also to stand firm for exactly the same reasons. The question is, will you do so? Maybe you say, well, is that even possible? If so, what does it look like in practice? What model can we follow? And that brings us to our third and final point. Every word of Holy Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as such, every word, no matter how insignificant it may appear to us, has great significance. And our text is a case in point. There is one word in our text that we can easily skip over, but it's very, very important. And it's the word, so. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so... Stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Now it's likely that this little word so refers to what precedes, specifically to what we read in chapter 3, verse 17. There Paul holds himself up as an example to follow. He writes, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Now as we learned several weeks ago, By holding himself up as an example to follow, Paul is not claiming to be perfect. In fact, he admitted in verse 12 that he wasn't perfect, but he was striving to follow Christ. And insofar as he followed Christ, or was striving to follow Christ, in that respect, the Philippians should follow him. They should also follow him with respect to standing fast. For if there ever was a man who stood fast, it was the Apostle Paul. Just consider how we dealt with the false teachers that were plaguing the congregation at Philippi. As we saw earlier, he called them dogs and evil workers, the mutilation. And he urged the Philippians to beware of them. And following that, with tears in his eyes, he he called them the enemies of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Paul would not and did not give an inch to these false teachers. 
They taught that we're saved by faith in Christ plus our works. But Paul said no. And he went on to declare that whatever supposed virtue he found in himself, he counted it as rubbish before God. And that his one and only desire was to gain Christ and to be found in him, not having his own righteousness, which was from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that he might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Yes, Paul stood fast. He stood fast for the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And now he exhorts the Philippians to do the same, just as he stood fast so must they stand fast. But you know, the ultimate model of standing fast is not the Apostle Paul, but it is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He too stood fast. Towards the end of his life, he was mocked and scorned and ridiculed. But he never once toned down his message, nor did he ever seek to compromise with his opponents. He was severely tempted by the devil in the wilderness, but he never once gave in to any of his temptations. He was distraught at the prospect of going to the cross, and even on one occasion pleaded with his father that if it was possible to let the cup of his suffering pass by him, but he never once had second thoughts. He remained firm and steadfast to the end. And that's why the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 12 exhorts his readers to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See what the writer is doing here? He's picturing believers as runners in a race. The race is long and difficult. And there are many obstacles that need to be overcome. And there's much pain that needs to be endured. But at the finish line stands the Lord Jesus Christ, urging us on, commanding us to stand fast. And he can do so. Because as the writer goes on to say, he for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, Christ himself stood fast. And as our risen and exalted King, he has the power through his Holy Spirit to enable us to stand fast as well. Therefore, dear believer, do not grow weary, but keep on running the race. Keep your eyes fixed, not on your enemies, not on your own sinful flesh, not on the world, but on the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand fast in him. One day, oh, may it be soon, you will appear before him in glory, and beholding his face, you will cross that finish line into the loving arms of the Savior who bled and died for you. And Then you will no longer need to stand fast anymore, for then all of his and our enemies will be defeated once and for all, and we will dwell and reign with him forever. Amen. 
We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard once again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this same program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.